Okay, everybody, welcome back to the E-Professor of Real Estate. This week, we get to talk with Sean Morrissey. He is an investing real estate agent and a managing broker. He does it all. He also has a podcast. This week, we get to talk to him about how he got started in investing, why he got started in investing, as well as, um, you know, kind of the things to think about if you wanted to jump into the investing side of real estate. Really hope you enjoy this episode. There was a ton to learn from it. And we'll chat after. Have a good day. Welcome to the E Professor of Real Estate Podcast. My name is Justin Lethby, and I'm a realtor, trainer, and coach. My sole purpose here is to take my many years in real estate, as well as my even many more years as a trainer, and get you to your goals and beyond. I'm going to do this by talking about business, growth development, branding, marketing, you know, basically all successful things that entrepreneurs are doing today. And hey... Since I'm your tech guy, there's going to be tech thrown in here as well. So let's go. Okay, everybody, welcome. This is Justin. This is E Professor of Real Estate. And today I've got the one and only Sean Morrissey. And he's a real estate agent, broker landlord, property manager, maybe property manager, property manager. He does those things. He's also a guy I have known for, what, 10 years now? I mean, since I've seen you come through the office. No, right? I think it's longer than that. Oh, seven. So 14 okay. years, man. Long yeah, I, I like 10. It sounds younger. It sounds better. Um, so yeah, 14 years. Um, so the reason I brought Sean on today is I believe in all my heart that if we're doing real estate, we're doing it so we can help other agents, but we also believe we want to invest, right? We got to have a retirement program or something of some sort. And that's actually one of the things that Sean has actually wrote in his goals for this year is that he wants to have financial freedom by the end of this year. So we'll get into that question here in a little bit, but that's what I wanted to bring him on for. Sean, anything I missed? I mean, yeah, I can give the listeners a little bit of a background on myself. I mean, I ultimately got into real estate back in 2002, um, purchased my first rental property in 2003, um, actually got my real estate license in late 2006 because I thought it'd make me a better investor. And right around the time I met Justin at Keller Williams um, in 2007, ultimately the the market bottomed out, right? That's when the things kind of fell apart. <laughs> Our timing was awesome. Yeah, timing was it was, it was something. So having said all that, you know, back in those days, I tended, I, what I did is I targeted a lot of folks that couldn't sell their property, didn't necessarily want to go through the short seller foreclosure process and still would have like a positive cash flow on renting their home. And I would rent out their home. Um, in 2010, that evolved into property management. In 2011, that evolved into me opening my own brokerage, uh, Chicagoland Realty Group Partners here in the western suburbs of the Chicagoland area. And then we we managed up to 200 properties at one point, um, ultimately uh, assigned that portfolio to a, a competing brokerage in early 2018. All along the way, kind of focusing on my real estate investment, ultimately just buy and hold stuff for the most part and, and 
being a landlord and using my property management system to help scale over time. And, uh, you know, really from 2018 on, the focus has been more of becoming more of the, uh, the landlord because of becoming more of the, the, the passive investor to some degree, um, although it's still very, very hands-on with the self-management. And then um, if, you know, done less brokering over the years, um, ultimately me, I've sold homes, put more less energy into that and more into finding um, you know, local folks that ultimately would love to sell their property um, and, and have it make sense for both our, our buy and hold model and or, you know, flip model is what we're looking into now. So yeah, that's, that's kind of a, you know, 17, 18 year summary in about two minutes. <laughs> well, that's awesome. And you know, you're leading me, I think fairly well into some of the first more natural questions. And I think you've already answered this a little bit right with the introduction, but I do want to ask, why did you go the route you did? Was that the intention from the setup? I mean, were you, would you, did you go to real estate saying, you know what, I want to be that investor? Um, you know, maybe discoveries happened along the ways. I get that. But is that, I mean, was that one of the reasons why you did this? Yeah. I mean, what's funny is discoveries do certainly happen along the way. But when I, when I initially got started back in 2002, 2003, I mean, it all, it, it all came from a book that my dad gave me, which was really um, about using real estate investment as a tax shelter. And back in those days, I was, I don't even know what a tax shelter meant. Um, so that was the intent. Um, you know, as dumb luck would have it, ultimately I'd get involved in different real estate investment clubs here, you know, locally in the Chicagoland area from 2003 to 2006 and into 2010, really. Um, but that just, it, it kind of left me in a, a good position. So market bottomed out in a way that I could help folks in renting their home because I'd already had that experience and evicted folks and had to, you know, ultimately, uh, put together a system so that I knew how to um, rent to quality people. And that's what a lot of people were learning. Now, you know, come 2010, 2011, I mean, my thought wasn't necessarily that I wanted to uh, become more of an investor than an agent. Um, my thought was really I wanted to become more of an agent property manager than an investor because I could see some scalability there over time. But, you know, I, I think what ultimately evolved is as I grew as uh, as an agent, as a property manager, and as an investor, I came to learn that, you know, as an agent, especially, um, you always got to hustle for the next deal, right? You've got always got to have uh, referrals in the pipeline or other agents you're working with or um, a system in place for lead generation, because that's that's always that's always key. And then after that transaction's completed, well, you're you're back out there hustling again. And there's certainly advantages to um, you know, potentially like the time per hour you spent on um, not only trying to find new leads, but processing the transaction. But what I came to find over time is when you own an asset that can produce, you know, not only um, positive rental cash flows, but, you know, ideally appreciates over time, you're paying down the principal of that mortgage balance and you're getting tax benefits, the net effect in regards to um, adding one's net worth um, tends to compound as opposed to the the agency or brokering business or the the property management which I'd, I'd probably even say the property management business is great because of the fact that you have one-year contracts and a reoccurring revenue stream on a month-to-month -month basis as an agent you don't necessarily have that so you got to have the the relationships in place to make up for that and you know, for that reason, there's there's very successful agents that probably say why invest in real estate or why even consider property management as a model. 
on the opposite end of the spectrum like myself that say, well, the, the investment model works great um, because my management systems are already in place and I, I know where I got what I got to do on a day-to-day basis to maintain that reoccurring revenue stream. So hopefully that all makes sense, but that's, you know, in a nutshell, kind of where my mind had been over, over sure. several years. Well, and I, you know, I think you raise a, a very huge point, you know, I, you know, especially right now, right. I, I think you, you probably asked the best question. Realtors are going, why would I want to invest right now? I, I plan a sign and I sell it in two days. I get 15 offers all above asking. This is a beautiful yep. day. But as you also said, me and you, I mean, I started, I think one year before you, <laughs> maybe three months. I don't know. I was there before you got there in the office, but, mm-hmm. but not by much. Right. And the world came crashing down on us. Um, and I tell you, I laughed. Side tangent. I keep telling a lot of people. I don't know about you, but what me and you started in feels eerily similar to what's going on right now. Everybody's living high. They're living good. They're not questioning anything, right? They're not doing any of that, you know, that wonderment, right? Which is what it felt like when I, because I walked in, I planted a sign, I sold the home. It was easy. It was, it was easy. the hardest one was. Yep finding the business. But once you found the business, everything else was easy. Um, So long tangent short, the question I got for this is this real simple. Would you, because I know you kind of started off, at least my recollection, a little bit as a property manager, right? Mm -hmm. Is that a natural progression to doing what you did? Because I know the reason I think it's good, because you mentioned it already, is there is continuous income, right? When when things do go dry, that still is producing for you, at least yearly, if not better than yearly. Absolutely. So back in the the good old days of, you know, 2009 to really 2013, I mean, that's what paid the bills on a month to month basis, that reoccurring revenue stream. Um, And it's something that, you know, I suppose all agents should consider. But at the same time, I think what's changed a lot since 2010 to today is that tech has really stepped in and said, hey, property managers or hey, landlords, frankly, we can solve all these problems for you so that ultimately you don't need to pay that property manager 10 percent. Um, that that individual person or that company doesn't host as much value as they once did because um, tech has figured out how to, you know, figure out uh, ultimately how to process work orders faster using their own maintenance crews or, you know, collecting rent online via credit card or, or checking in savings account. I mean, that wasn't available back in 2010. So there's it might be possible for an agent to say, Hey, I want to, I want to start in property management tomorrow and build a model, but man, there's, there's way more competition than there used to be mm-hmm. compared to 2010. Um, there's less demand because everybody's home selling a day right now. So it's, it's very, um, it's not particularly driving for most folks to say, why would I rent when I can sell for top dollar? And, um, and then, yeah, tech has kind of changed things to where ultimately, um, you know, as a landlord, you can find, you know, software like Nest Egg that to right. me has, has really figured out kind of uh, a lot of the issues that prop, that landlords were having that property managers would solve, but to do it for a cheaper price. So it's, uh, it's an ever-changing world, right? I mean, we've got to continuously change and adjust as the times change. And that's, you know, I guess that's what I see. Now, so let's take this to another way. Let's take it to another conversation. Just a side tangent. Let's let me play the devil's advocate. Technology has made life so easy. Why do I need a property manager? Oh, so you're yeah. I mean, 
I would say that some of the things they haven't figured out um, via tech, in my opinion, and based on my experience, is leasing. It's there, there are self-showing options when it comes to leasing, but at the end of the day, you're counting on that individual to stop by to not only be able to get in without an issue um, and, and see the place, but to turn off all the lights, make sure the doors are locked and, you know, frankly, not be a squatter. So um, having a local property manager that'll show your property in an efficient basis, there's, there's for sure, or, or real estate broker for that matter. Um, but the rent collection piece of it, it's it's pretty well solved in my opinion if you if you dig deep enough into the the, the tech solutions available um e-lease signing i mean that's basically solved point a to point b lease signing there's no big deal there requesting repairs a lot of that's been figured out but i will say there's still a lot of loopholes when it comes to getting the vendor in touch with the tenant and then getting the vendor in the door to make that repair there there's a company out there called property meld I've I've had some relations with that tries to solve that but it all it all comes at a price um, so if the price isn't justified to make that solution affordable then that's not a justifiable solution so um, there's that and you know that that's figured out a lot of it when it comes to work orders and then the last piece in my opinion which we haven't really figured out is performing inspections of that property on a regular basis. So you may want to see your property manager get in there once a year, twice a year, maybe four times a year, depending on the tenant's level of cooperation and, and the class of property. Um, but to do that, you really need somebody that's boots on the ground, right? That's local. Um, so with that in mind, you know, it's tough for tech to figure that stuff out. So there's still some reasons out there, in my opinion, as to why leasing agents, real estate brokering with rental listings still exist when it comes to the leasing side of things, but really it's that inspection piece that I suppose is the one that's probably the most inept to having technology solve yet. And, uh, you know, and until that happens, there's, there's still demand out there. Um, and there's still landlords that don't know the solutions that are available to them when it comes to tech. So they may pick up the phone and call a property manager whenever it talks to them first they go with. So it's, uh, you know, it's, uh, ever-changing world once again. <laughs> well, yeah, and it sounds like to me, you know, it's, you know, from an agent's perspective, it's a fairly logical flow because where we succeed in this business from a property manager is where we succeed as a real estate business, right? It's the relationships. It's not the, it's not the processes, right? Because if we can, if we can set up a process, they can be duplicated through technology, right? Those are the things that can be mimicked and duplicated. Great point. But our processes are not our processes, our relationships, which is I keep trying to teach people so often, it's the relationship business we're in. It's the it's the service providers that we know, it's the vendors that we know, it's the wealth of database of clientele that I have access to that I'm gonna give you results from, which is where I think most of this comes from in here, because um I, I always think, and maybe you're wrong, if I'm wrong, let me know from a property management perspective. But I think one of the things always we fail on is we always try to say we're faster, cheaper, slow, um, lower, right? Well, if those are your three items that you're selling on, someone's going to build a better mousetrap and now you're <laughs> you're fighting you're a losing yeah. battle. Yeah, and that goes for with all industries, right? I mean, chapter feast 
faster, cheaper, better is kind of the, the name of the game and, you know, the kind of the American model, I suppose. But your point's a great one that if there's one thing tech can't take away from us, if there's one thing that competing agents can't take away from us, it's the relationships we have with those, those, those people out there in your community and what you're doing. And I feel like if you, uh, you know, nourish those, uh, that ultimately you'll be, you'll be sustainable over time. At least yeah. that, that would be my, my thought. Um, but again, I, I think, you know, we kind of go back to the idea of, you know, what makes real estate buy and hold real estate investment so attractive to me versus the agency model. And it's that you own a hard asset that has rental cash flows every month that, you know, pay down the principal appreciation over time and some tax benefits. And the agency model doesn't necessarily have that. Um, but again, it goes back to what we were talking about just five minutes. And if you focus on those relationships, there's probably ways in which your GCI exceeds what you would anticipate to obtain on rental cash flows which would justify you building that agency model rather than a real estate investment model. So, you know, to each their own, I suppose. Well, yeah, I would agree with that. But I, I also think it goes to our skill sets, right? I mean, you know, some of our skill sets are going to be, we just want to be out doing those things. We want to look at homes every day. You know, there are certain people, you know, I, I hear it from agents. I just want to look at home. I just want to go show home with clients. I think that's fun. Okay, great. Well, then maybe investing isn't going to be your thing because you don't want to go look at your property that someone else just beat the heck out of, right? That's not something you're going to want to do. Yeah. <laughs> But um, I do think that if you are trying to price point your hourly wage, agency versus investing, I think there's an there's an obvious difference there, right? I mean, there is definitely especially getting started, right? I mean, it takes right. time to build a portfolio, so right. the agency side of things is going to make much more sense in the short term. But you know, in my case, you stick term. with it. Yeah, then in the long term, the 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 buy and hold side is going to make a little more sense. Uh, but you're right; it's it's all going to come down to your skill set and where you want to focus your energy. And you know where I find the most enjoyment is to go out there and and find the deal. Frankly, um, right. so that's that's where I focus my energy. Yeah. So, so this yeah this leverage as well right to the next question. So you move from property manager. And again, I know I'm simplifying the conversation, but just for the points purposes, you move from property manager to being a little bit more on the investment side where you're you're at this point in time. How where did you go? Did you do buy and hold? Did you do flip? Now remind again, we're gonna take this for perspective because me and you started real estate in the downturn. So some of these were not a decision you could make. They were just realities that you had to be in, right? I mean, sometimes it was just a buy and hold market because that's the only thing you're gonna have for an option. Mm -hmm. Some of them were flips because that's the only options we had. But um so let me ask you, I know right now, I think you're mostly buy and hold, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. I but am. you, and we'll talk about flipping a little bit. So let's talk about that. So when you're looking, why are you looking, why were you looking last couple of years, three, four, five, whatever, pick your number. Why were you looking at a buy and hold versus a flip strategy for the last? Well, it really years? came down to knowing that rents were ever increasing as, as home prices uh -huh. were increasing on the sales side, I suppose. Um, and, you know, ultimately, you know, the, the strategy that investor uses in their in their toolbox is you're looking for some kind of value add, right? So you're looking for that rundown house in a beautiful neighborhood that you can improve and either flip or rent out, or you know some might consider it you know wholesaling as well. So that's that's kind of the the target market. Now I I tend to float more towards the small multifamily these days, 
And instead of continuously chips or looking into real estate syndications, um, try to keep everything in house. Um, but yeah, at the end of the day, it's, it's really what I was looking for. Now, given where we're at in the market now with, with prices being so great and the drop in interest rates over the last years, it's a great time to unload kind of the, the low hanging fruit on your portfolio to say, all right, this house requires a lot of repairs or it's not in a neighborhood that attracts great tenants or the association is not maintaining the property the way I feel it should be. And I think, you know, it makes sense to unload those properties now. Um, other than that, I, you know, I tend to be a kind of a buy until you die type of attitude <laughs> because of the, uh, the the capital gains reset, which is actually on the table right now in Washington. But having said all that, um, you know, I guess that's just the general philosophy. I mean, based on where we're at in the market right now, unload the, the bad stuff, hold on to the good stuff and continue to ride the wave. Um, you know, and we'll see where we're at in three, four years. But you know, I, I can't ever see our federal government or the state government letting the bottom fall out of real estate like it did in 08. And um, I, already, I believe there's already some some markers in place to prevent that. So it's, uh, yeah, well, I mean, it's it's still a great asset class. And, and, and you're absolutely right on that, right? I mean, which is, I think it's challenging for investors, right? Because I don't think there's going to be the same investing opportunity we had six years ago. Um, you know, there was a windfall going in the area. Um, and the thing that I worry about, or I watch with this, because I do think, I think we're going to see a shift in the market. I think we're going to see prices plateau out. I think we might even see a dip in pricing, not like we did, you know, in 2007, 2008 through 2013. We're not going to see that. But for most of what you just said, right, I think the government's already has tools and keys in place to, to stop that hemorrhage before it starts. But with that being said, we still have to be aware it's going on because I use Remine a lot. Remine is for people that aren't that are listening from across the country that aren't used to it. Remine is a prospecting tool that's out there, tax database tool that will show you business opportunities. And if you actually look at the pre foreclosures for the last six months, they've actually increased. Makes now sense. they're not going short, right? And they're not getting foreclosed the pre foreclosure. So the list pendants are being filed. They're just not. They're not coming out, right? They're they're not even hidden inventory, right? They're not even that the hidden inventory that people like to talk about. Mm -hmm. This is just not going out there because the governments or the banks are working with them ahead of the game. So with that, if you're looking for properties, what would you recommend today? How are you going to find those properties? Because I don't think we're going to see the same opportunity we did six, seven years ago. We're going to see opportunities, but not nearly the same way. No, you're right. And I mean, ultimately, um, we're not going to see the same opportunities as six, seven years ago. And it's tough to be an investor in 2021, open the MLS and be like, oh, I'm going to, uh, you know, potentially overpay for a property or, you know, ultimately purchase a property that's going to have limited rental cash flow because of what I'm buying it for. And to answer your question, you just got to dig deeper, right? I mean, ultimately, you've got to find the deals that no one else is finding. And as the marketplace has become more competitive, um, you know, as an investor, that's only become more difficult. So you've got to be able to find information that no one else can find. So if you're going and you're looking in, in Remine as an investor, you know, you can pretty much bank that the majority of agents that are investors are probably doing the same thing as well. So it's it's very difficult to find that deal. Um so then the next question is, you know, should you just hold on for, to the cash and wait till these Liz pendants get processed? And now there's going to be this flood of foreclosures. I mean, is that possible? I mean, it is. But from what I've read, it, it sounds like there's going to be some government intervention there to ultimately limit 
the amount of foreclosures that hits the market at any time. So we may see a price dip, but we're not going to see a collapse in, in my opinion. And with that in mind, you know, those folks that have been holding on to cash since 2017 that have been like, here it comes. I mean, here we are four years later and we're like, where's the recession? Right. And, no, absolutely. Um, you know, we're, and we're getting to a point where we may be limiting any any form of recession moving forward just with the uh, the amount of money that's been printed. So it's uh, it may be more of an inflationary game moving forward than it is a, um, you know, wait for prices to fall because uh, any kind of deflation at this point is I think it's going to be hard pressed to see. Well, and you make a good point, right? There's actually, I talked to a mortgage person out in Arizona quite a bit, and he's had the same conversation. I still feel like we're going to see something, right? I mean, again, it feels too eerily like when me and you started. It just feels like something's got to happen. Um, but and there's like a war on affordability. I mean, that's the thing. When, you, when I think of what's going to happen over the next 10 years, there's going to be government intervention when it comes to affordable housing because, I mean, You've seen it, Justin. I mean, look at the cost of lumber right now. You, right. Like, what's the point of building anything new? We got to wait for supply systems to get back on track, wait for prices to fall before that even makes sense. And even then, you know, unless we start printing 3D houses or, you know, <laughs> mobile home parks become zoning eligible, I don't know how we quite solve that affordability issue. And yeah, unless the market drops to some crazy capacity, that's going to be kind of the ongoing issue. And, and, you know, and, and I've seen it here in the state of Illinois where I feel like there is a, um, a war against landlords right now. I mean, rent control has been on the books two times in the last couple of years and it hasn't quite gone through yet, but you know, it, it's eventually, it's right. right. It feels like eventually it will. Yeah. And you know, then we got the eviction moratorium, right. Which creates a whole other slew of issues, which we, we kind of talked about, you know, prior to this call and, it's it's one of those things where really if you're a, if you're a government official, it's a war on affordable housing. How do we build housing cheaper for the, the the slew of Americans to make their lives better and yet um, not penalize the general public in doing so? So that's uh, to me that's the that's the battle for the next ten years. Interesting. Probably be that. <laughs> well, okay. So let's talk about this real quick. Then we're going to move to a different conversation, but I think this is fascinating. This is how I talk. This is how we do. If you guys listen to me on the podcast, folks, you know this. I like going with the flow naturally, but you mentioned something. How much do you think for the next two years forbearance are going to play on you as an investor agent? Uh, forbearance, meaning like, no, so not you going into forbearance, but other people going into forbearance that can know. Cause remember, well, so for, I'll just short story, long story short, right when this started happening in April of last year, when all this stuff, you know, our world got turned upside down, I brought in four mortgage people. I said, let's talk about forbearance so we can educate the public. Mm-hmm. And I'll be honest with you. They, they kind of whammied me because they go, stop doing the forbearance. They're not good for you. X, Y, and Z. I'll do this for you instead, right? I mean, it was it was amazing conversation. I learned a ton. But the thing I really learned from it that I didn't actually recognize at that point in time was there's really a couple different versions of forbearance out there. One, that's going to get tied to the back of the loan whenever the forbearance is over. And the other one that says do when the forbearance is over, right? So we got some that have had 12 months of no payments, and they're going to be due at that point. Well, even if they can afford to sell their home, they can't afford to pay that forbearance. Yeah, their equity is 
basically getting chewed up by those payments, right? And, right. you know, I'm assuming there's no later penalty fees, but if there are, I mean, good luck. So my guess, so I'm at, so you as an investor agent, I know me as a real estate agent, trainer, coach for agents, trying to teach people how to get ready for the next pending market, which is what I think the next pending market is going to be. I would think from you as an investor, you're looking at this as potential opportunity, whether it shows Absolutely. that way or not. I guess that's why I'm looking at it. Am I wrong? Are you looking at it that way? Oh, you're right. I mean, there's a lot of folks out there that are that are, you know, lip, licking their chops, right? That say, hey, you know, I've had cash on the sidelines. I'm going to wait for these wait for this COVID situation to play out. And, you know, the, the sales will be at a discount um, all over. But again, I, I, I question if that's going to be the case. I, I think there's going to be government intervention there because they don't want to see 2008 happen again. And it's going to be much more limited. And going back to your point of, you know, the two types of forbearance that you tend to see, I mean, I'm not educated on that, but assuming you are the unlucky one that ultimately has 12 months of payments due or beyond that at the end of COVID, you know, whatever that means, at the end of the day, um, I'd like to think there's going to be intervention there too, because we just, it just tends to be the, uh, it just tends to be the the juice that's been poured lately. Um, So yeah, I, I, I'm not expecting any great deals, but I, I would anticipate, given the amount that's been added to the U.S. money supply, that anybody who holds hard assets like real estate um, is ultimately going to see um, their prices inflate. Um, doesn't necessarily mean there's been more like added to the gross domestic product, for that matter. Um, it's just that the U.S. dollar will be worth less. Um, I mean, that's what I'm anticipating, but I, it sounds like, you know, pres- and Biden's going to try to counter that with, um, you know, increased taxes and, you know, talk about 1031 exchange termination and stuff, which I don't necessarily think is going to happen. But at the end of the day, um, I just I can't see us and I, I can't see us getting around inflation at this point. Um, and, you know, and again, we're going off on some tangents here, but is another reason I think Bitcoin is so intriguing to poise folks as well, um, because Whoa. there's a fixed money supply that's tied to something and ultimately we're not just creating money out of thin air so there's anyways. about three of you i want to bring on to that conversation at some point in time as a real estate agent um yeah well, that's just, I mean, i'm not qualified to really speak to bitcoin um but it's it's certainly something that's fascinated me um in, in the process of covid and in our solutions as a country in regards to stimulus and, and what we've done to the money supply so again it's one of those things where it's like you may look at the the market out there and say it's a great time to sell, and and you're right. Um, but if you're just a hold, I would, man, I'd be likely to think that ultimately natural inflationary pressures are going to increase the value of your real estate over the next five ten years as this money hits the system more. And um, you know, and unless our our federal government can limit that, unless the Federal Reserve can limit that to some degree, um, I just you know, it, it, it's a good time to be an asset holder, I suppose. You're with used cars, right? I mean, with the with the last recession and that current presidential group and senators and and that we they bought essentially all the used cars out, and now what you're <laughs> seeing, what's that? That's an interesting way to look at it in regards to uh, 
Yeah, bailouts and things of that nature. It's what we're seeing, right? I mean, I I I don't know about you, but I know in my car isn't even desirable. They're still calling me saying, "Do you do you want to trade your car in?" Because it's there's such a huge pent up demand for used cars that they can't be satisfied because we did it right. And so that's what I worry about some of these things, right? I mean, you know, inflation is going to happen, as you just said. Um, which again, you know, if you're, again, the reason we're talking about this from an investor perspective, that's why this point matters, because if you want to buy still, I think today is a great buy and hold scenario. You may not get to buy the 50% off home, (laughs) but that inflation is going to make it 50% off hopefully in the next few years, because that, that pent up demand, no one's building homes, all this other stuff's going in place could be a very interesting play out there. Now you don't ever want to gamble investing. And I think Sean would agree with that. You don't ever want to gamble on these risks, but these are the factors we got to pay attention to. Well, and, and just to elaborate a little bit more, you know, and going really back to the topic, cause I know I'm, I'm getting a little off base here, but at the end of the day, I always think it's effective as a, as an agent or broker to have try to create multiple streams of income, right? So you've got, you know, your your sale piece, maybe your listing piece, you got your your buyer agent team, perhaps, you've got a few rental properties, you know, you've got your stock portfolio, um, you've got your property management portfolio. I mean, at the end of the day, now, given where we're at, and we see the trajectory where real estate has been, and really, common sense tells us, like, this is no longer, like, affordable for the general consensus of America, in my opinion, create your systems now so that if things, you know, do have a, uh, a tumble down effect and those mortgage forbearances lead to a flood of foreclosures, that you're there and you're ready and prepared to have income in place so that ultimately you're not going to be one of the ones that are, that are bitten by the bug here. So um, yeah, it's, you know, develop your plan for multiple streams of income based on your skill set. And if you don't have uh, a skill set, then work on developing that range of skills so that ultimately you can you can be there to benefit from it or survive through it, whatever happens over the next couple well, of years. Well, and I think that's interesting. And that brings up a very good question that follows the flow of what we started on. You said build systems, right? And I mentioned that we all have our own skill set. Well, maybe my skill set isn't the one to go hunt and find the deal, but my skill set is the one to build the relationships or find a property and someone else established a deal prayer for, you know, paradigm on it. Um, do, did, did you, or do you even recommend building that team? I know you talk about syndication and I'm not talking about that really at this point in time, but I mean, I, you know, I know investors, you know, the real estate investor book, right? The millionaire real estate investor book, you go to real estate groups. It's one of the biggest, most common topics you hear, build that team around you. Mm-hmm. Um, is it something that you encourage, you know, to build the, you know, the financier to build your, your bird dog, so to speak. And, you know, those kind of steps. It, yeah. I mean, if you can do it and do it right. Absolutely. Have I done it and done it right? Nah, not really. I mean, you know, when I went to open my own brokerage and, you know, I had a handful of agents working for me. And what I came to realize pretty quick was that ultimately I didn't have the systems in place to, to manage those people. And ultimately, um, I was really relying on skill set to bring revenue into the office rather than train others. Right. And, and a lot of that comes from an owner operator mentality. And I, and I learned that at that time. Now, my opinion these days is I tried to scale, you know, via tech, via improvement of systems through technology, 
rather than bring another person aboard to the team. So that's, that's kind of what I focus on at these, at this moment in time. But I mean, I can tell you all sorts of folks that I have seen since 2010, since the downturn that ultimately knew how know how to work with people, know how to develop systems with people. And they were able to leverage that. And now they're leaps and bounds ahead of wherever I thought I could be. So understanding how to manage people is, is absolutely critical in this world. And um, I wish I had a, the silver bullet to figure out, but I, I simply don't. So I, you know, I, I kind of went the other direction and said, all right, well, I'm going to find different tech tools to help make my time more efficient so that I can do more with less. And that's, uh, I guess that's, that's really, you know, what I continue to do moving forward. So, okay. I don't want to kill our time. We've been doing this for a few minutes. I got two more questions. I got really one more question. Um, what do those systems look like for an agent? So if you were to tell a, a newbie agent, me, right? I'm not a newbie agent, but let's say I'm the newbie agent that says, Sean, you know what? I want to be an investor. I have no cash. I am literally starting out there. I have people I know, but I have no cash. What would you tell me? How would you tell me to get started? And what systems do I, what are those systems? Maybe you don't want to give me the whole secret sauce. And I totally get that. But what are those no, systems? No, I'm, I'm happy to give you whatever I got. So assuming we've got a licensed agent, right? Somebody that right. is licensed to sell real estate. Ironically enough, I probably tell them, go that route first, because that's the point of least resistance in order to obtain the most income quickly. So with that in mind, you know, and part of the reason I went to Keller Williams, frankly, was because the, the training systems were so good in terms of, you know, being in the classroom and learning what you needed to learn to uh, survive on a day-to-day basis, be it marketing or how to fill a contract or whatever the case might be. But at the end of the day, sitting in a desk in a room for a few hours a day can only get you so far. It makes you, you know, book smart, but not necessarily street smart. So really you want to work with an agent that already has that established lead generation system and work under their tutelage, right? So ultimately, uh, they're mentoring you, which is kind of the premise of what a team really should be, is that you learn what you need to learn from that team leader, in my opinion. And then once you learn that and you feel comfortable in, in generating your own lead cycle, then ultimately you go out on your own and you do it yourself. And after you do it on yourself, then I'd recommend you open up your own brokerage too, because you know, again, it depends on the state, but it's it's not the most difficult thing in the world. And now you've got, you know, no commission split in essence, depending on how you structure things. So all that comes into play to develop first. Once you've developed that and you've got some funds on the side and you've got some relationships built through your agency stream, then I'd say buy that first rental property, buy that um, that first opportunity. And that may just come through happenstance from your relationship building with people out there in the general public, which is the best way to do it. Because, you know, as I'm sure all sorts of agency this day and age, you know, finding a deal in the MLS is, it's impossible. It's very difficult. Um, although ironically, I found one in December that's turning into a very, <laughs> that, that is like an anomaly, man. It's, it really is. So having said all that, I, that's, that's the way I would go. Um, focus on your agent's game, build your relationships, but at the same time, attend those weekly meetups or this day and age, you can do them all through Zoom um, in terms of real estate investment clubs local to you. And, um, you know, and once you kind of got the agency thing figured out, your property management systems can be relatively plug and play this day and age. You buy your first property, you, you know, 
the Burr models talked about all the time these days, but you buy, you rehab, you uh, refinance, and you repeat. And that's that's all you need to know. So you've got your uh, net worth being built in the form of real estate and properties that you, you buy and hold, all while you're you know churning away your agency system. And if you got those two working side by side, and then you've got like a third property management arm, that happens to sprout over time because you're managing your own properties and you can also help your clients in the process of doing so, then more power to you. And now, you know, that's, that's basically who I am. It's those three arms and they play off each other and they work well together. And I've tried to expand that to like, you know, cleaning businesses or carpet cleaning businesses or handyman services. Yeah. Natural progress is all that, right? You would, you would think so more difficult and are much more, um, you're much more in the face of the public. So it's, it's, you know, I, I don't want to push the envelope that far, but I've seen other property managers do that where they've, they've made that work and it's an even more profitable stream of income than the property management is. So it's, it's, uh, you know, there's, there's different ways to skin that cat. There's just, uh, you, you just gotta take it all in time and really look from the big picture in regards to where you want to be in five, 10 years, and then um, what that translates into into income, and then work it backwards in regards to what it's going to take to get you there, I suppose. I like that. And I, again, I, pretty much what I watched you do, right? those three things that you naturally grew into. So I love that setup. And again, I don't think it needs to be complicated. It feels complicated. And trust me, it feels stressful. But I don't think it, it, it doesn't have to be either one of them if you, if you systematize your process and you move through it in a natural flow. Um, perfect. Last question, and then you get to talk about whatever you want to talk about, how you, you know, whatever thing you want to promote. Um, any, any ahas, any like, wow, that was an interesting discovery through your journey that you want to make sure people realize that you don't like, not that you want them not to go through, but you want them to either be prepared for or learn how to avoid before they get there. Yeah, that's a good question. I, I think the first thing that comes to mind is. You gotta you gotta respect that you're you're part of larger systems in play here, right? So we could happen in two thousand eight, um, and we can't control what's happening now with COVID, right? Like I am I am probably losing hair daily over this eviction moratorium and the fact that yeah. you know we're now on sixteen going on seventeen months. Um, you know I've used the analogy of um, imagine your employer telling you that they're not going to pay you for seventeen months. And you can't go to court and do anything about it, but you're expected to go to work every day and work just as hard. That's that's what landlords are going through right now. And yeah. I, I'd love to see the general public step up and, and back the, the mom and pop landlord, especially because of the fact that they're the backbone to um, affordable housing in this country for folks that aren't ready to buy. And, um, you know, I can't help but I'll, I'll get off my soapbox. Um, <laughs> it's so a good anyways, point, though, because it's risk that people were not ready for, and that's a exactly. hard bite. Came out of the left field, right? I mean, those are the swans that we have to keep in the back of our mind are going to happen in life. And when they do happen in life, you want to be liquid enough to get through it. So, you know, always make sure you got at least six months in reserves because like this or, um, you know, what happened in two. And out of those things usually comes opportunity. Um, at least that's the way I look at it. So, yeah, I mean, always, you know, you probably heard all the time growing up, but always prepare for the worst. And if you can do that and you certainly keep enough liquidity on hand, you know, you'll be able to get through, um, get through anything. So, you know, that's relatively simple answer, I suppose, but it's, it's one that kind of hits home with me right now when it comes to the eviction moratorium and the fact that, 
you know, we're, we're really going to have to get through the end of June before um, we could start to look past COVID. Well, and I laugh because I'm telling people on the real estate side, not even investor side, to start saving an extra 10%. Not because I think the market's going to shift that fast, but my thought is right now, we don't know what's going to happen. Something's going to happen. <laughs> it could skyrocket or it could fall. My prediction is it's going to fall. Not huge. I, I agree with you. I think government's going to protect to some degree. Yeah, there'll be some intervention. Yeah. But- I would rather people right now save that extra 10% and then go on a great vacation because they no longer needed to worry about it than realize what we discovered. I mean, I watched huge teams fall apart as soon as the recession hit in 2007. Yep. And I it just, if, again, it feels so eerily to me, the similar that I really would like, I just want people to save a little bit more money. And the same thing you're saying, right? Just save that little extra nest egg so you can withstand the uncontrollable, right? And yeah, yeah. And it, I mean, I think of 2008 too. I mean, there are whole offices that would just like dry up overnight. Right. And, um, you know, they were they were over leveraged, frankly. So it's just being sensitive to the over the over leveraging that's so easy to do, um, you know, in our culture, I suppose. Well, awesome. Well, Sean, I do appreciate your time. I don't want to kill all your time. <laughs> I know you're an extremely busy person, but um, you know, this is your time to promote whatever you want to promote. Tell anybody that you want to go to, like for instance, I was horrible and I forgot to talk about. You have your own podcast, an investing podcast. It's yeah, powerful. I can. It's awesome. I, yeah, so I'd be happy to mention that. Mind. Yeah, it's actually you know I just realized it the other day, but yeah, I've got a podcast called Landlording for Life. It kind of defines who I am <laughs> to some degree landlord for life. Um, but yeah, we uh, we're just pushing a hundred episodes and we cover all sorts of different topics when it comes to landlord stuff. That's really just on a nationwide level, nothing really specific locally. Um, and, you know, so yeah, pushing a hundred episodes. If you go to uh, landlordingforlife.com, you'll find all the previous episodes there. And I've got some show notes and stuff that, you know, you can dig into a little bit. Um, but yeah, we're at roughly a little over 38,000 downloads. So that's, that's kind of that's exciting. Awesome. Um, and, uh, you know, would love to educate more agents in regards to using buy and hold real estate as, uh, as an alternative to their, not even an alternative as a supplement to the retirement plan. So, um, something everybody, everybody should be looking into, especially if you're an agent already. I mean, that's what your specialty is. So do it. Yeah, no, I agree. I think landlording for life is great because I think having that retirement programs in place, right? Where our average age actually went up, we're 54 as an agent. And I think part of it is we don't have that. We never had that in place when we were starting to set that up as a real estate agent. So I think it's yep. huge. Yep, absolutely. Well, thanks, Sean. I appreciate your time. Hopefully we'll get you back on talking about cryptocurrency. We'll get you and Steve Saunders <laughs> on. Yeah, not sure if I'm qualified, but it's certainly intriguing. Right? We'll let Steve talk about it all. <laughs> Awesome. Thank you, sir. You got it. Have a great day.